Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome back to Bucklehead's Land Grant Holy Land College Basketball Podcast. This is episode 54 and today Justin and I are talking about the Buckeyes who return from Maui with not one but two wins under their belt, one over a ranked team. Uh, Justin, we talked about it before. We said with Maui and with Duke, uh, two and two would be great. One and three, probably not good. Anything better than two and two, obviously that's that's gravy, but they come back two and one from Maui, which is a huge victory for them. Yeah, I mean, I say, sorry, I was eating m uh, I would say there was two scenarios that was okay after the Los San Diego State. And one like even one and two would have been okay if the one was beating Cincinnati and then then they lost to Texas Tech. That's two losses to ranked teams, whatever. Losing to Cincinnati and then beating Louisville would have done nothing for you. Um and as we're recording this right now, Louisville and Cincinnati are tied at the half. So uh watch out for that i don't know obviously after when you're listening to this that game will be over and done so we'll see and as i said that louisville just took the lead into the half um on a buzzer meter so oh as i said that cincinnati hit a half court shot this is nuts hit a half court shot and is now 31 to 30 at the half cincinnati so there's your little quick play-by-play of that eight seconds uh i gotta stop game this the sickos game of the night i i gotta stop getting ahead of myself i said it was halftime three different times and it's been eight seconds that i didn't think anything would happen and they drilled a half quarter david to julius my guy so anyway uh we'll see what happens there but louisville sucks so playing them and the winning wouldn't do you any good um i think the first two games went about as expected uh ohio state you know they, they played well against san diego state at times at times, they looked overmatched in youth and experience and even talent at times. And then the Cincinnati game, I didn't think they beat them by 30, but they are better than Cincinnati, and that showed. Uh, I think it was a little mix of Ohio State playing good defense and Cincinnati just getting really lost on offense at times. And then the third game was kind of a toss-up. Texas Tech's a good team. They're San Diego State-esque, but they're just not as talented. They don't have the Matt Bradley or the one or two guys that can really go get you a bucket. Uh, as Ohio State fans know, they have Kevin Obenar, who had, I think he had uh, 17 or 18 points, and uh, Daniel Bacho had 21 in the paint. But um, it was definitely a game Ohio State felt like they could win. And, I mean, the first the starting getting up 23 to 10 was huge. I think that really just led them throughout that game. And, you know, guys stepped up, hit shots, and Justice Suing finally had the game 
I wouldn't say the game we expected because he had an unreal game, but he finally looked like he's really getting comfortable, and uh, that was great to see. I think that to take a moment just to recognize how freaking cool that is that um, Justice suing the, 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 the path that he's taken, the, uh, the setbacks that he's had, you know, you go to Ohio State, you know, you're the first year that you're eligible, you know, you've got a lot of good players on that first Ohio State team that he played on with EJ and with Dwayne. So they didn't really need him to be like the guy. Then the next year, <clears throat> excuse me, the next year, you're pretty much hurt. He misses the whole entire season last year. He would have been a huge help to that team. If you think about that team that was only two games out from first place in the Big Ten in the final weekend, you throw Justice Suing on top of Malachi Branham and EJ Liddell, that maybe was a Big Ten championship roster with him playing. And then he gets to this season. Finally, now it's been a year since he's really played any basketball. And on the final day of Maui with his mom and dad in the stands, you know, on the islands where he grew up, not the island, but in Hawaii where he grew up, drops a career high 33 points that nobody saw coming um, to give Ohio State a ranked win over Texas Tech. I just... I, it took me a second. I was like, that's really, really cool, man. That's such a cool story. That By the end of the season, regardless of what happens, that might be like the top story the whole season because that was just so cool to see the broadcast panning back to his mom and dad in the stands cheering and are so happy. And he just went ballistic, and it was mostly him attacking the basket. Um, so the justice suing is great if he's healthy with the asterisk. I think that's dead. He looks really good. He even took, if you noticed – he took a, a kick straight to, like, just straight to the dick during this game. Right to the cojones. Yep. He and Jay Billis had like a really funny joke about it too. I love the Jay Billis uh, Dan Schulman combo. That's an awesome broadcast combo. But they had a really funny joke. And hell, I mean, the dude's coming off a groin injury, and he took like a size fourteen shoe right to the dick. So I think he's okay. He popped back up and scored like eighteen more points after it. Yeah, it was kind of nuts. Um, I forget. His exact name, I think it's something fish fishback. It was the announcer the first two games who to this day does not know Roddy Gale's name is Roddy and not Rodney or the Bryce Sensible is not indeed Brian Sensible. Um, to go from him to Jay Billis was very nice because obviously Billis is one of the more he obviously, get, at least knows their names. I mean, we need to get like a clip of the Mike Woodson going who on like an immediate button that we can roll. It's, because it's nuts. I mean, perfect. like I understand doing it once or twice, even for Roddy Rodney. Okay, it's close. Covering them two games in a row and then still saying it in the second game in the second half that's just inexcusable. But I won't get on that tangent. He kept um, talking yeah, was, about every team's girth. He used the phrase like their girth like four or yeah, five times. It's like I don't know what's going on here. Um, but anyway, yeah, um, Justice was amazing. Yeah, I think. He, Nobody scored within the last 10 minutes outside of him, right? Until Zed Key broke that with the free throws at the end, or McNeil broke that at the end with the free throws. But for yeah, like a span McNeil. of like nine and a half minutes, and I think 15 straight points was all just assuming. And it was all like, you know, it wasn't perfect. He still didn't shoot the ball well, but he got a lot of offensive rebounds. He put the ball, he's just attacking, attacking, attacking. Um, and it's just so awesome. You can tell that he just, he kind of has a different step to him this season i think he obviously knows this is the last one i think he's just trying to literally i know it's a coach cliche but leave everything on the floor um but it was it, you're right it's cool his dad looked kind of emotional in the stands at one point after he had a huge he had like a three that was huge um you know it was just it's very cool to see and 
I mean, they needed all 33 of them. So it was great that he had this game because they needed it. He's still not shooting the ball really well. I think that, like, I want to say the stat was he hit, he was two for three from three against Robert Morris, a season opener. Since then, so in the, how many games have we had since then? One, two, three, four, five games since then. Um, he had, he came into this game and missed 13 straight threes, I believe was the number. And he went one for five today. So he is still not, shooting the basketball very well but he is finding ways to score and um teams know that he's struggling for three so they're gonna you know they're gonna dare him to shoot threes um and if he doesn't want to shoot the three and he wants to come into you know drive to the end of the paint they're gonna make it extra hard on him and despite that he still scored 33 on 12 of 19 shooting eight of eight at the free throw line buckeyes were 18 of 18 as a team eight rebounds which i believe is his season high Five assists, which I believe led the team um, to one turnover. Um, it's like he's, he did all this, and he's still struggling to shoot the basketball, which is going to be a key part that he needs to provide for this team this year. But he's still somehow providing and, and, and scoring without being able to shoot worth a damn, really. Yeah, I mean, and I think it's, you know, he's 12 for 19 on the day. I don't know if you mentioned that, but so that's but he was one five from three. So he did most of his damage in the paint. He's a guy that we know he gets to the free throw line. That's part of his game. He was eight for eight there today. I mean, we could talk about the free throw shooting as well. Cause it was just 47 for 51 on the Island. That is unreal. That's so good. Um, and I was curious because they haven't had a close game yet, right? They're four and one. They had four blowout wins. And then the, the one loss, they got close a couple of times, San Diego state, but I wouldn't have called it a close game. It was never like really in doubt that San Diego State was going to win that game. So I was curious what their lineup would be, what they would go with, um, and and kind of how they would react. A younger team, you know, but also some transfers. Just curious how they would react in that two minutes drill where they had to get a bucket or had to get to the free throw line or had to get a stop. And they seemed to really answer every call, every call, and that was huge. Um, and to see them go eighteen for eighteen from the free throw line was was like music to my ears obviously that's not something you can sustain they're not going to shoot 95 percent on the on the year from the free throw line but that's a hell of a sign moving forward yeah the ohio state improved in several key areas from what you saw in their first couple games um, back in columbus then to go to maui and they improved in so many different areas like uh, snap your fingers and like turnovers they were averaging averaging 15 turnovers a game uh, against really bad teams going into Maui. And that was a big talking point. That was maybe the biggest talking point with Chris Holtman and amongst folks before that was how is this team going to uh, avoid turning the ball over against really, really, really good defensive teams that are very good at stealing the basketball and forcing you into turnovers, putting you in uncomfortable positions when Ohio State is already turning the ball over way too much against bad teams? What happens when they face San Diego State, Texas Tech, um, Arkansas teams like that that are much much better than Eastern Illinois and Ohio State what they did is they turned the ball over 24 times in three games so they averaged eight turnovers per game after averaging 15 you know in those first couple games and like you just said at the free throw line I believe Ohio State was averaging somewhere around 70 percent 60 or 70 percent from the free throw line before going to Maui and I think what you said was 47 of 51 which is like correct quick Quick math is that's 93% from the free throw line. So they didn't turn the ball over. They got to the basket. 
They shot a lot of free throws. They converted at the free throw line. They weren't fantastic defensively, but it got the job done. I mean, this team's not going to be elite defensively. I was just, I was just impressed because almost all of the questions that we had going into Maui about how can this team that's been doing things A, B, and C poorly, do we really expect them to do things A, B, and C much better now that they're going to play really good teams? And the answer was actually yes. Well, and that's the thing because I think I think there were a lot of concerns coming into Maui with this team, and I think they're fair. I mean, they played three games against three bad opponents. They looked great, good, and then bad, right? So it was kind of like, okay, hang on, how do, what do you take away from that? Um, and then even San Diego State, I don't think they played horrible defense. I think there were times they got lost on defense and gave up good shots. San Diego State was also just hitting everything. I mean, everybody saw after the – after when they played Arizona the next day, uh, Arizona, Arizona, they, they shot three for 19 from three. And I watched that game. It wasn't like Arizona played much incredibly better defense. They just weren't hitting the open shots they hit against Ohio state. So, you know, you kind of just got a little bit of mix of not great defense by Ohio state, but also San Diego state played up, played a level that they aren't going to play most of the time. Most of the time they're going to be, a less or more of an average shooting team than they were against Ohio state. So, you know, it's, it's just one of those things where I think you just caught San Diego state, maybe on a, on a bad day, a good day for them. And, um, and I think there were so many takeaways from that second half of the San Diego state game. They fought, they scored 51 second half points against the top 10 defense in the country. Like that cannot be overshadowed. Sean McNeil awoke from his coma that he seemed like he was in. Um, you know, they just, they look great. Zed key obviously struggled, but again, like Nathan Mensa, I don't think people truly realize how good of a defender he is. He's not going to face many defenders better. He might he face Mount- bigger guys. I believe he, he was a Mountain West uh, Defensive Player of the Year last year, I think. Correct. And I think he was like top five in the country in blocks. So he's just a. They're showing the Ohio State game on highlights right now. And that play, this when it was tied up out of the timeout, or uh, they are by five out of the timeout with a minute left, and they went full court to Justice Suing was just. Beautiful execution. Absolute big, massive balls to run. I mean, Holy just oh, awesome. I love it. So much trust in your freshman point guard, by the way. Bruce Thornton made that pass. Just so much trust in him. And we can talk about him because I, I'm flabbergasted at how good he is. I mean, truly, he played yeah. 39 minutes today. I didn't even realize that until we almost started recording. 39 minutes. He's the he perfect basketball player. So against San Diego, yeah, and you could talk about why that is in a second, but against San Diego State and Texas Tech, okay, two of the better defensive teams you're going to play on the season, especially playing in the Big Ten, okay? Those two games, he played a total of six, 65 minutes and had three turnovers. I mean, yeah, that's that's incredible. Why is he the perfect uh, basketball player, though, or college basketball player? Oh, I mean, we were talking about we we actually we said this several times. He's the he is the perfect college basketball player, and you watch more NBA than I do. I will never I'll never front or lie or act like I watch a bunch of NBA because I don't. Um, but to me, it seems like he's not the kind of guard that NBA teams are like. Their eyes are going to pop out and be like, "Ooh, we got to take him!" Like a six two, pushing two hundred and thirty pound, pass first point guard I don't think is going to jump off the, the the page at NBA scouts and be a kind of guy that at the end of his freshman year NBA teams are going to be like hey Bruce you need to put your name in because if you fall to this spot we're going to take you um, they like guys more like Malachi who are taller lankier 
um, shooters who are quicker. Like, not that Brute Thornton is not athletic, but he doesn't fit the mold that NBA teams are looking for in one and done guards. More like they like Bruce to Thornton. create your own shot guy. Bruce Thornton is not too much of a create no, your own shot guy. Not really. But Bruce Thornton is going to be a guy that hopefully is going to be at Ohio State for three or four years. And by his senior year, people that root for Michigan and Michigan State are going to be on Twitter like, Jesus Christ, Bruce Thornton is still at Ohio State. He's been there for freaking eight years. Um, like he's oh man, he's just such a good point guard, and he's so big and bulky and great at like slashing to the basket himself. And he's just an absolute meatball that multiple defenders have to crash in on him, or he's gonna body you to the basket. And when you do that, like it's almost like when he drives to the basket, he's already thinking, "I'm gonna kick this out." And if it looks like it's an open layup, then he does it. But he's already thinking ahead when he's going toward the basket, like. I know I'm going to have an open man. Here's where he's going to be like every single time. Yeah, he and he's a guy that genuinely I, I believe he can be like a first team all Big Ten kind of guy. I He showed me a lot more scoring wise than I think I expected in this tournament. I mean, he shot the ball, I want to say about 50 percent from three, a little bit higher than that from the field. Yeah, averaged around 10 points a game. I think he had 13, like 13 and something. I don't know. But he looked really good on offense. He just he never looked sped up by the pressure. He never looked phased by the pressure that Texas Tech and San Diego State were putting on him. And then also, and we can get into this, that is helped out by Ice Likely. I think people are giving Ice Likely a lot of crap because he has struggled on offense, and that's that's valid. He has. But other things Ice Likely is providing for this team is really kind of going under the radar, and I'm not positive why. Um, I mean, his defense has been literally lights out he's played for all five, he's guarded all five positions already he guarded all five positions against texas tech um just in this game so but it's helped out because bruce thor knows he has another veteran guard next to him that can also control the ball handle the ball that's not going to turn it over too much uh so i think that's that's been very helpful for him and also he's just very consistent he doesn't do too doesn't make many bad decisions he doesn't play out of his comfort zone he knows exactly the kind of player he is, and he just plays that game. And it's just so, it's so fun to watch. I mean, it really is. He's 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 shown me so much in this three day tournament, and it's hard because I'm not I'm not saying like he played poorly in the first three games. Of course he didn't, but it's just so much. Like, what do you take away from Robert Morris? You know, what do you take away from Charles Southern? You don't take away anything away from those games. These are the games you get takeaways from. These are the games you learn things. And he was phenomenal. So I. Couldn't have been more happy with his performance. Quick math says that Bruce Thornton at Maui averaged 13 points per game, two assists per game, and he had two total turnovers over three games. So I guess it would be 0.6 turnovers. Um, And then from three in game one, he went two of five. In game two, he went two of three. In game three, he went three of four. So that would be seven of, doing math in my head, four, seven, 12. So he went seven for 12 from three. So 13 points, um, two assists per game, only turned the ball over two times in three games. So he wasn't assisting the ball a ton, but he also wasn't coughing it up. And then seven of 12 from three is just under, so somewhere around 60% from three on not a ton of shots, but. But again, he wasn't forcing anything. He was just taking what he had. If he had open look, he took it. If he didn't, he passed it. Like, he just plays so well within himself, and it's awesome to watch. Right. He's like eight shots, nine shots, six shots in those three games. Yeah. Six shots That's... against Texas Tech. Like Other than other than 
winning the entire Maui Invitational is like is there any better outcome than what people got to watch this weekend? No. Is there anything better? Because even after the San Diego State game, um, I didn't think they were going to beat San Diego State. I know we kind of, I was kind of the the pessimist and you were the optimist before the San Diego State game. But I just think that's such a good game for young players to play in. Like you're literally throwing. they They learned so much. And you could tell watching against Texas Tech what they learned against San Diego State. They weren't forcing the ball as much. They weren't trying to do too much against the against the pressure they were provide that Texas Tech was putting on them, and they looked much better on the defensive end. And that was just, I mean, San Diego State. It might have if you would have told me Ohio State scored seventy seven against San Diego State, I probably would have assumed they won. So you know, credit to San Diego State for putting up eighty eight points. But uh, and then you know, and then like I said, San Diego State turns around, they give up eighty seven to Arizona. So who knows? Maybe the defense isn't as good as we thought. I don't know. Um, I need to watch their game against Arkansas tonight. We'll really find out, but it's just, it's so fun to, to watch this team kind of, you, you, like you watch them evolve throughout this three day tournament, you know, for everybody that said that was able to sit down and watch all three games. I was fortunate enough to, as, 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 as some others where I know today's time was a little, little out of whack. So maybe they didn't watch the, uh, the third game, but for everybody that was able to watch all three games, you could literally see the evolving that the team is doing and the evolution and playing together. Like Sean McNeil, he had kind of a tough game against Texas Tech. I think he was a little frustrated with some of the fouls, and um, you know it just looked like he might have been forcing a little too much. But as well as he shot the ball the first two games, I think maybe forcing it makes sense. You know, I think he really wanted to come out and have a big game in this one. So, you know, in just suing, just finding everything in this game, it wasn't even just thirty-three points, eight rebounds, five assists, two steals, and one turnover. Like that is, you pretty much couldn't ask for it. you couldn't print out a better stat line it's so so impressive and i think the I, I think the biggest takeaway for me from these three games especially because they were probably outsized by all three teams was the offensive rebounding this team crashes the offensive boards and they create i mean i know i think we said it they they had said they had 19 second half uh, or second chance points at one point against cincinnati and they were up by 19 like the, it makes a difference uh and they were they crashed the glass in all three games really, really well. Even against San Diego State, they did. Today, they did, and they were out. I mean, Texas Tech is not a small team. Um, so to watch them crash the glass like they did and to add, not just crash it and not just get those points, but know what to do with them, you know, get the second half chance, get the second chance points, get the ball back up and in. Um, this team is really, really good at that, and that's going to be something that's incredibly valuable in the Big Ten. And that was something that Ohio State was – Actually, through the first three games, this is probably the best rebounding team that Chris Holtman has had since he got to Ohio State. But the question, of course, is like, sure, you can rebound against Eastern Illinois and Robert Morris and Charleston Southern. What happens when you play bigger teams? Like, can you continue to grab 48, 49 rebounds a game? The answer is no. But also getting that many rebounds a game is kind of dependent on how many shots your opponents are missing. And they're not going to see a whole lot of... uh, teams miss as many shots as they saw from like Robert Morris, but against uh, San Diego state here, I'm just looking at the box score who they're not massive, but San Diego state did have several guys who were between like that six, six and six, nine range Um, rebounds, San Diego state, 37, Ohio state, 34 offensive, Ohio state, eight, San Diego state, seven. So, I mean, you're basically dead even in rebounds for that against Cincinnati, Ohio state rebounds, 42, Cincinnati, 29 offensive, 19 for Ohio State, 12 for Cincinnati. So just bullied Cincinnati. And then against Texas Tech, 
uh, let's see here, 26 rebounds for Texas Tech, 25 rebounds for, I'm sorry, flip that, 26 rebounds Ohio State, 25 rebounds Texas Tech. I would say those numbers are probably a little lower because both teams shot over 50% from the floor. They're just not missing as many shots. There's not as many rebounds to get. But offensive rebounds, why are they not putting offensive rebounds in the box score? If you have that, let me know. But um, I'll look. We can keep talking about it. I'll get them. Yeah, I can't see the offensive rebounds for the Texas Tech game. But that's an area that they were already doing very well in. But it's like the last couple years, people are you know, saying this team is too small. They don't have a true center. Um, well, Ohio State just absolutely hung with San Diego State rebounding the ball. They out-rebounded Texas Tech. Here we go. Offensive rebounds. Ohio State today, nine. Texas Tech, nine. So they hung with San and Diego I, State. I will say to they that stat. rebounded Texas oh, Tech. Go ahead. I was just going to say to that stat, not to cut you off, but they did in the first, I want to say, seven minutes, They off- the offensive rebounds were five to zero, and that was when Ohio State took that 23 to 10 lead. So it might look like how even it was to end it, but it got them out to that lead to start, and they really never looked back from there. And it happened against Cincinnati, too. I think it was – I'm trying to remember the exact number. I think Ohio State missed seven of their first eight shots, but on five of those seven misses, they got the offensive rebound and Yeah, that scored. number's right. Five of seven. For the Cincinnati game? Yeah, yep. Yeah, so like Ohio State literally, again, they could not shoot the ball. They could not score, but they're just out-efforting Cincinnati, mostly just assuming in Zed Key. So that's another area where like, okay, if you can keep the effort up, they're going to be able to keep grabbing board. There's just, other than winning the tournament, man, there's just so many really good things uh, that you can take from this. Like Chris Holtman and Jake Diebler, (laughs) they are getting on the flight tomorrow. They are happy. They are smiling. They're probably taking my ties to go, taking them on the plane if that's allowed. Like so many, like you named a couple things, like Sean McNeil. We're talking about the young guys. I mean, Sean McNeil was probably falling off of scouting reports for people moving forward because he was just sitting back. And then he goes and demands the ball, scores 22. And now teams are like, okay, so this is a guy that we may even have to like double him if he gets hot. So that's a problem. And the younger players, you're literally just throwing freshmen out to the Sharks to play San Diego State. Half of their dudes are literally like their hairline is like halfway up their head. And Bruce Thornton is 18 years old. How, how, what, what else can you ask for to get your younger players prepared for a long, grueling season than play against grown men? So there's just yeah, I don't so think many people, takeaways. I don't think, I don't think people genuinely understood how old San Diego State is. <laughs> like it's It's nuts how veteran they are, how experienced they are. I almost compared it to 2019 Virginia, but even they started a freshman, D.A. Clark, at the point guard position. He just played like a junior, so you forget he was a freshman. But, like, they're they're so veteran, they're so experienced, and uh, they're just it, – it's I it's it's tough because I I do want to sing the praises, but and I didn't watch the game, so I don't really know what happened, but they turned around and lost to Arizona by 20. Uh, now, granted, my take, my old, my overall takeaway from this tournament is Arizona is a lot better than we thought. I thought they were the fourth best team coming into this tournament. They just went and won the whole damn thing. So uh, because they beat Creighton and they they were beating the hell out of Creighton for parts of that game. So credit to Arizona. I think they're a lot better than than I think people thought coming in. Um, so I'm really I'm really curious to see moving forward, especially you know the next game. It doesn't get easier. The next game is Duke what they've learned because Duke is so different from like an experienced veteran team. Duke just, they just cobbled together five stars and toss them out there and say, go, go talent this thing up. 
you know, they don't really care about last year was a little different. They had Mark Williams, they had Wendell Moore, they had some more experienced guys and they went to the final four. But this year, I mean, it's just, it's just five-star freshman after five-star freshman after five-star freshman after five-star freshman. So, and Jeremy. And they, so kind of like, yeah. And then they fill in the, the gaps with big 10 transfers of guys who were off of, you know, bottom feeding. Big yeah. Ten Ryan Young and Jacob Grandison. I would say Jacob Grandison asterisk that he was on a very good Illinois team, but like, Ryan Young from Northwestern, you know, they have Ryan Young playing crucial minutes. They have Jacob Grandison coming off the bench. Um, I don't think this year's Duke, sidebar, this year's Duke team. No is, idea how. Yeah, I was going to sidebar. No idea how you can put Ryan Young in crucial minutes and Joey Baker transferred. I don't get that, but um, whatever. Maybe Joey Baker's not as good as I'm giving credit. I don't know. But I anyway, know ba- I don't know if Joey Baker's good, but we'll, we'll we won't talk too much about Duke. And what I said, just in case. I'm not saying Duke is not a good team. They're a national championship no, Duke, caliber yeah, team. I think at they're the same not time, as good as last. I think they are not as good as last year's Duke team. Yeah, highly, highly agree. I will say Ohio State did catch Duke at a good point last year. They weren't quite playing great. Paulo Bencaro hadn't caught his step yet. I do think put that game in February. Duke probably wins, but that's why you play him in November. Also, uh, Duke's only played one team with a pulse, and they lost. So they played, there's a lot uh, of question marks around. They played Kansas and they, they lost. Who did they play the other day? They played, was it like Bellarmine? They, they won played by like Bellarmine. And Bellarmine kept it close. They won by like 16 or 17. So yeah, I mean, I'll be honest. I only watched the Duke-Kansas game. And I mean, Duke, looked, they looked good. They're going to be good. Kansas is also they're, going I mean, to be really huge, good. So that's going to be but very interesting. I haven't watched any of their other games. I just see their final scores. And they've had a couple games, including that last one, where I was like, man, they only beat Bellarmine by... 16 or 17 I was like I would kind of assume that they would just you know run them run them right out of town so I'll need to look a little closer I think last year's Duke team was much more talented um and the last year I think we had some of the same concerns as we will this year is if you look up and down at the matchups we're literally getting into a Duke preview that we'll probably do next week but <laughs> last year I jumped on the Duke basketball report and they were like uh, as like a guest on their podcast like Connor, give us the the outline of how Ohio State can come away with the upset. And I was like, I'll be honest, there is no, there is none. Like it can't, it won't happen. Because Thank God Duke, that didn't get clipped. You could have been all over Twitter. Um, I was like, it, it cannot happen. Duke has a mismatch at literally every single position against Ohio State. I just don't see how it could logically happen. And I don't think that this year's Duke team is quite as good as that Duke team. So they said Ohio we'll State said, enter Zed Key. You son of a bitch. <laughs> which make no sense which makes no sense on paper, but you can't measure heart oh, no. and, and heart and hustle hey. and effort and how badly you want it. Well, and that's where this team is incredible. This team, look, are they the most talent uh, well, of Chris Holman's there, I think they are the most talented. Are they the most talented high state team I've ever watched? No. Then those were like the later two thousands or you know, early two thousand tens bad teams. But this team, I don't know if I've ever seen a team work as hard as they do on the offensive glass, on defense, you know, getting loose balls like this team. And that's – look, I know people it, – it's a coach cliche. It's, you know, we want to work. We want to work 110%, which doesn't make any sense. I get it. All those things are cliches, but they do matter. You know what I mean? That doesn't change the fact that it matters. And this team, dude, they fight and they claw. And that San Diego State game was good. Was good. They could have lost San Diego State by 30. The way San Diego State was shooting the ball, the way they played defense, the way nothing was bouncing their way. Even the soft rims looked like it was only benefiting San Diego State at first. Like nothing Man, was bouncing their way. Couple, there were a couple San Diego State threes that I mean, well, they and, Ohio State ended up losing by like eleven, anyways. But there were a couple threes where they literally like 
clanged the flat part yeah. of the back rim and then they just sat there and rolled in. I was like, are you, man, are you kidding me? <laughs> and, and that's why I think, and I was going to bring this up. I, I, you can't look at the point total when it comes to these games and go, man, Ohio State gave up 88 points. Oh man, their defense must suck. It's like there was, I counted at least five threes that hit the back of the iron and just plopped in for San Diego State. And a couple have for Ohio State too, don't get me wrong. But I'm just talking about the strict matter of San Diego State scoring 88 points. You put that game in Columbus or in San Diego State, it's probably more like 70 to 60 something. You know what I'm saying? Like it's not 88 to 77. And I'm not, again, I'm not saying this only benefit is San Diego State. This benefits everybody. But the point totals are so high, not just because the defense sucks, because, I mean, again, our, you know, Arizona averaged what? 87 and a half points in this tournament because like i mean it's nuts how many points they scored so you know that's kind of at the point to where i think these rims obviously these rims are helping guys shooting and um i think the jury's still out on ohio state as a shooting team i do think sean mcneil's an elite shooter i think he's so good a shooter honestly sometimes the soft rims actually hurt him but you know he i think sean mcneil's elite i think bryce sensible is very good outside of that you know, just assuming struggling from the field. Tanner Holden hasn't really tried to shoot the ball too much. He's been just going to the rim. Bruce Thornton is turning out to be a really good shooter. I just don't know how consistent it's going to be. Uh, that's kind of to be determined. I could see you him know, being more of like the, I could see him being more of a Jamari Wheeler type three point shooter where he'll take them. Take like, them as they come. If, if they're given to him, sure, I'll take it. But I don't yeah. think he's going to be like hunting threes for any reason because he's freaking almost 230 pounds he doesn't need to agreed agreed and, and you know roddy gale he's struggling a little bit to start but again roddy gale he is just all over the floor like he's so fast he gets to his spot he's really good driving the ball if he can just develop a little bit of a jumper he'll be good and i know people are already like we got a shooting guard that can't shoot again it, like shut up he's 19 years old it's been four games or six games give it a second okay like just give it a second he's gonna be fine He's all over the floor. He plays. You can tell this team wants to play defense, and I think that's the biggest thing. And remember, when we talked to Scotty Middleton, he mentioned that, and he was like, they recruited me because I want to play defense, and Holtman kind of made a point of that. Like, we want guys who want to play on the defensive end, and you can tell with this with this team, they want to play defense, and it comes out. You know, I think we <laughs> uh, the Felix Akpar drop dunk wasn't great, but he's been good on the defensive end so far. The offensive end, a little to be desired, but again, you know, he'll learn. I think there was a lot of plays in this tournament that they, they looked like freshmen, you know, but very talented freshmen with a lot of potential. And once you kind of work through that, I think uh, it'll be really, it'll be really cool to see these guys develop throughout the season. As of right now, I'm not on the Bryce Sendeball as a one-and-done track. I don't know where you stand on that. I'm not quite on it. He's incredibly gifted offensively, but he's got a lot of work to do defensively. It just depends on how much NBA scouts truly ignore that, which they might. I mean, Malachi wasn't a great defender either. He still isn't. But um, we'll see. I, look, it's November, okay? I, obviously, there's a lot of game to play, but we'll see. I'm, again, our, good, our good friend Kevin Sweeney, friend of the pod, Kevin Sweeney, he seems to think that he's that Sensabaugh is going to be a one and done. I, I don't know because if you look at EJ Liddell after his sophomore year, I see a lot of parallels between those two guys. And after, yeah, EJ, after EJ went and talked to scouts after his sophomore year, basically he was essentially told you're going to need to slim down a little bit. 
you need to get much faster and be more mobile to be able to guard better on the perimeter and you need your jumper to be better. So Sensabon's already got, you know, one of those things locked down. He's already a very good three-point shooter. I would say, I would argue that his three-point shooting now is already at, if not better than EJ Liddell's was when he left Ohio State. So I think Sensabon's already got that in the bag. What he's going to have to get much better at are those other couple things, which is how mobile are you? How quick are you on your feet? How quickly can you pivot and, you know, push through those screens to guard the perimeter because right now you're seeing a lot of guys who are picking specifically on him for jumpers um, because he's not quite as mobile and as quick on his feet to get up and contest these shots. But I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think he's a one and done player, but I can almost guarantee you that at the end of the season, he's going to enter the draft to at least hear what they have to say. Oh yeah, for sure. Which, which I've been a very high proponent of. So I wouldn't doubt that at all, but yeah. And a lot of times it comes down to just what you hear at the draft. Remember with the Malik, with the EJ and Dwayne situation, we kind of thought it'd be flipped, right? When EJ and Dwayne uh, left for the draft, we were like, well, yeah. EJ's probably gone, but Dwayne will definitely come back. EJ kind of struggled at the combine. Dwayne showed out. Flip it. You know what I mean? So it all depends. It, we can't tell in November. In November, Malik Brandon was struggling. So, you know, it took him until conference play to really get going, which doesn't really make a lot of sense because conference play gets a lot that's, harder. But that was that, why his draft time we, got so much better. <laughs> We could be way off. What if what if Bryce Hensabaugh just absolutely takes off down the stretch? He could be one and done. But Which he could. I mean, he's averaging 17 points a game on about 20 minutes played. If his defense gets better and that goes up to 26 or 28, I mean, sky's the limit. So, I mean, it's hard to talk about. You have about to now. assume. I think we're all kind of assuming he's not going to finish the season averaging 17 points a game. But, no. um, I mean, if he but, somehow finishes the season with 15, 16 points a game, I mean, shit, we'll, we'll see what happens. I just – if he continues to score 16 points a game and his defense is that suspect, not that defense is that that important in the NBA, but I think that if he ends the season looking like he is now, my guess is he probably get some of the similar feedback that Egypt. It'll got. be it'll be crazy interesting to see if because I don't think he's going to enter the starting lineup anytime soon. Personally, I think Bruce. I think they like starting Bruce Thorne and Ice Likely together and letting them kind of play off each other. Um, maybe he'll start for Sean McNeil, but I think you need him in there to space out, space it out for suing a key. So I don't think he's really going to enter the starting lineup. And again, this was the first game they had tight at the end. They won, mind you, like they pulled it out. So whatever lineup they had in worked. Ice likely had two steals at the end of the game that were huge. So if Bryce Sensible doesn't enter that starting lineup slash doesn't enter that finishing lineup and is still a one and done, that is, it seems very, uh, uh, unusual. <laughs> you want to talk about something else that's impressive from Isaac Likely. Let me make sure I have the Cincinnati uh, score up here. Did you watch? Did you happen to watch the um, the Cincinnati Arizona game, the very first one that was like one hundred two ninety three? I the, watched the first the first half. Okay, you know Landers Nolly finished with a career high thirty three points. Yeah, I was gonna bring. I was gonna bring that. He had nine, a nine three pointers in that game, right? Very good player. Mm-hmm. I think he started at Virginia Tech, then went to Memphis, then went to Cincinnati. Um, Correct, been good everywhere. So, I don't know if Holtman told likely you're gonna guard him, or if likely said I'll take him. You know what Landers Nally did in in the game against Ohio State? Two points Nothing. on Look, one of six shooting. Missed looked all incredibly of, uncomfortable, mind you. Looked, missed all of his threes, four rebounds and assists, and two turnovers. Isaac likely, Isaac likely put that man in hell for a Blender. whole game, a whole Blender game him. miserable. And then today, just like you said, I guess by tomorrow it'll be yesterday, whatever against Texas tech, 
Same thing. Final five minutes, two crucial steals while Texas Tech is trying so hard to make it a one-possession game and not a two-possession game. So even I think I've settled on Isaac Likely as like the baseball equivalent of a very good defensive catcher. I yeah. think that if Isaac Likely gives me five points a game and like five rebounds a game, keep starting him. What's a, what's a good example? Tucker Barnhart? Dude, Yadier Molina, man. Get the hell out of here. Well, Yadier is a great offensive player, though. I'm talking about. Yeah, I'm talking about, a, I'm talking about a good defensive player that's not on, not great offensively. I, I'm getting into baseball stats. Yadier Molina was like a, barely even a replacement level player his last two years because he can't hit the damn ball. But uh, yeah, I mean in same, general. But, same comparison though. Yeah, like if we can get, if I can get five points or six points out of likely per game, and he's doing what he's doing on. I mean, that's absurd. A guy went well, from 33 just, points and feeling good, feeling hot, ready to go do it again. And just absolutely made him nothing. He did nothing. I'm sure Landers Nully was licking his lips because he just scored 33 points. He got to play the next day against a team that just gave up 88. <laughs> he was probably like, let's roll. So, and, and nice likely just put him in a blender. Also, Ohio State's averaging 80 points per game to this point through six games. It's like 79.3. Ice likely is averaging 3.8, and they're 5-1. and one. They don't need him to average anything more than four or five points a game. As long as he doesn't, as long as he knows that and he's not shooting the ball 10 times a game, which he's not, they're good. They have scored. Justice Suing, Bryce Sensenball, Bruce Thornton, Zed Key, Sean McNeil, Tanner Holden. They have scoring. They don't need him to score the ball. They need him to do exactly what he's doing, which is a lockdown defender. Doesn't really turn the ball over. He's turned the ball over a little bit, but he's getting better. Um, a guy who's always going to make the right pass. And just a second ball handler to help out Bruce Thornton when he needs it. That's all. That's all his role needs to be, and he's done it perfectly to me so far. It's just I know like people want the offense. I get it, and sometimes he looks a little bit even. So, like even when he is shooting, you're like ah, but it's fine. <laughs> oh, he can't. Yeah, he can't shoot worth. He can't he shoot. Can't, yeah, he can't he shoot. Never, for sure. But he never right. has been able to. That's not why he wasn't out there averaging 18 a game at Oklahoma State. You know what I mean? That's not why they brought him in. They brought him in. What is he, the only player like in NCAA history that has like 1,000 points, 600 rebounds, 500 assists, and 400 steals or something like that? Like, that's what he does. He's your Swiss Army knife. And I, I truly don't even think people are comprehending what he's done on defense. Like, you just said it with Landers Nolly, but like, his, and that's going to be so valuable in the Big Ten. So valuable in the Big Ten. I mean, I would so, like, I would. I, I would like more than three point eight points per game, if we're being honest. But if right, I like think he needs to get that to around six. five or six. Five or six. Like yep. Five or six. Yep. If he finishes the season with a line of like six points, five rebounds, three and a half or four assists, and he's not turning the ball over, give me that. Give me that. I said and you're not for taking, him, and you're not taking shots away from the other guys that can get buckets. That give me that. To start the season, I said with him, five's his number. Five, five, and five. If he can try to average five a game, five rebounds, five assists, um, that's. As long as he's not turning the ball over and playing good defense, that's perfect. And even like five assists more, is probably high, so I'll say yeah. like three. But five was just because he he's averaged that before. He's done that before. Um, but I'll say five, five, and three. Five points, five rebounds, five assists, or three assists. That's fine. That's perfect. It's like the more you talk about what different guys did, it's almost like you can pick something from every single player and be like, okay, like I feel really good about this guy moving forward because of what I saw at Maui. Like, even like Felix Akpara, I'll tap my chest and say I kind of – I think I might have jinxed him because he had a crazy block. And I think I, I tweeted something that was like, I love how Felix Akpara jumps into the game every now and then, embarrasses somebody, and then sits down. And like 30 seconds later, Ohio State had a beautiful play where they moved the ball around the perimeter, 
and then got it down to Felix below the basket. Nobody within 20 feet of him, and he just straight dropped the ball. And I was like, maybe the only person inside the perimeter line. (laughs) I was like, literally, I was like, all right, that's on me. But like, for a a guy that when we, when, when Ohio State got the commitment and the scouting report was, you know, his offensive game has a lot has a lot to be desired. He's got a lot of progress, but he's going to be an immediate defensive difference maker. He's he's playing like 10, 12 minutes a game right now. I'd have to look. He's, is, playing, he's playing 15 minutes a game right now. He's only averaging four points a game. But he's blocking a shot and a half per game in those – let me read that again just so it makes sense. He's blocking a shot and a half, 1.5 blocks, and he's only playing 15 minutes a game. He's yeah. giving you really good minutes off the bench. And I've seen him a few times too. Like when they get in the ball below the like they get in the ball below the basket, he is pretty thin, but he goes up with authority. He goes up strong. Like if you want to block his shot, you better be able to get your hand like twelve feet in the air because this dude is absolutely huge. So I even I, I liked what I saw from him at Maui. It's just other yeah. than winning Maui, I don't know how you can't like this is the second best. This is the Which, second outcome. Honestly, I think there's three teams at Maui, they're elite eight teams. And maybe four, maybe San Diego State, but I think Arizona, Creighton, and Arkansas are absolutely lead eight teams. I want to say two things. First of all, like I said, I'm watching the Cincinnati-Louisville game. Cincinnati has pushed this thing to 16. It's over. Landers Nolly, 16 points. He's six for eight from the field. Uh, the only person that's ever made his life difficult is Ice Likely. Thank you very much. Secondly, Felix Akpar is the only example. It's like the best example I've ever seen of like, this dude's going to be really good. He's just a freshman. Like he, he like there was two plays that stood out. One yesterday, one today. The one yesterday was he, and it was him and Bruce Thorne. And this is why, like, it's so exciting. But you can tell it's freshman. Bruce Thorne put like a little floater, like alley oop to him. And the pass wasn't perfect. And Akpar kind of fumbled the catch, but he still put it in because he jumped so damn high. You know, and it's like, oh, that's gonna be so great in like a year and a half. <laughs> you know, like they're not quite there yet with the chemistry, but a year and a half, that's gonna be on ESPN. And then the second one was today. He pinned a block against the backboard. Beautiful block, but he brought it down too quick, got stripped, and they laid it up. And it's like, oh, it's, the potential's there. It's a great block. He's so gifted physically, but just don't bring it down that fast. Because in co- in high school, that doesn't matter. In college, that gets taken from you. So it's just one of those things where he he does make a lot of freshman mistakes, but the, the raw potential is like through great, the roof. Great teacher. Like, exactly. I think that and a great teacher are- right there. I'm sure Holtman brought him aside and said, hey, because Holtman pulled him directly after that and oh actually he pulled yeah he pulled him directly after that because i was in the first half um and i'm sure he coached him up and said hey real quick here's what you do in that situation so these guys are it's almost like the, these freshmen are making plays because of their talent almost exceeds the mental part of their game right now 100 100 percent. they are accident i shouldn't say accidentally because it makes it sound like they didn't do it on purpose but like they are making plays. I, I think accidentally is a good way of wording it, though. They're making plays. In hindsight, you're like, maybe he didn't mean to do that, but wow, that was really good. One one that I noticed was against Cincinnati when they were up, they were up eight going towards. They're up eight, like in that last possession before halftime. I'm I'm assuming you watched that entire game. Yeah. They were up eight right before halftime. They ran a play. They tried to get it to Justice. Justice wasn't going to be able to beat his man off the perimeter, so he gives up to gives it to Bryce Sensabaugh, who is on the left wing. So he's kind of close to the Ohio State bench. There's like five seconds left. Bryce could do any number of things. What he does is he does two dribbles. He does a little like a, uh, like a little James Harden step fake forward. And then he shoots a three right in with the guy in his face. Cashes it. Cashes yeah, I remember it. because I said, no, 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 no. 
<laughs> they go up by 11 and a half. As soon as that's done, right, everybody's cheering. You know where Chris Holtman goes? He runs over to Bryce. He pats him on the chest like, you know, good job. And then the entire walk back to the locker room, he's got his arm around him, and he's doing this thing with his hand that's almost looking like, no. Like, yeah. that is not what we wanted. Hey, that great shot. A- Never do that again. <laughs> that is not a good <laughs> shot. If, if we're in that situation again, that's not what you're going to do. I'm glad you hit. Like, like, they're making plays that are not necessarily intentional, smart plays, but they're so talented. And once they better understand the college game, man, man, I just can't say enough about, like, what you saw from those guys at Maui. And I know that we are probably – people probably think that we're, like, the, the cheer squad – with oh, people definitely palms. think Ohio State Athletics pays us at this point. We are compared shills like, right now. Compared to like any other like outlet, I know that other outlets that cover basketball are just like a little more negative because they also cover football. If anybody yeah, tries to those tell outlets you, pick up in January on the, the basketball. If anybody else tries to tell you that Ohio <laughs> State going two and one at Maui with wins over Cincinnati and a ranked Texas Tech team is bad or not a success, turn that shit off. Nuts. When, like I said, it's also. Like the takeaways, like they lost San Diego State, but they took away so much from that game, especially the second half. First half, I'll admit, not much. They didn't look great at all. The second half, there's so many takeaways from that. They look great. And I think that second half propelled them straight into Cincinnati and straight into Texas Tech. I will say this too. They looked a lot fresher than Texas Tech. And I genuinely, to start that game, and I genuinely believe it's because they blew the pants off Cincinnati. That helped. And Texas Tech blew out Louisville as well. So I guess this point doesn't really make any sense now that I'm thinking it through. I might hold that. I just, I just thought <laughs> I, I forgot mean, Texas Tech played Louisville. <laughs> I was thinking it's, yeah, it's a live yeah, podcast, yeah. folks. I'm thinking things through. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, we're, this is this is off the hip today. <laughs> this is off I the was hip. Thinking, I'm thinking things through. <laughs> I was thinking about how weird it was that the Texas Tech game was 2:30 Eastern, but 9:30 a.m. Hawaii time. So that makes no sense. Like, well, if you think about it. If you think about it for a moment, this also could make no sense, but I think it makes more sense than what you just said. 9.30 a.m. for a tip-off is wild for older players who are used to playing at 7, 8 o'clock. But how about for freshmen that have been playing like 40 AAU games per summer for the past couple years that just wake up and play in tournaments where they might play multiple games per day? Do you think Bruce Thornton and and, and Sensabaugh and Akpar aren't used to like getting up and going with their parents to the gym at like 8 a.m. or 9 a.m. for a tournament for AAU? Because I was thinking about that. And I was yeah, like, no, that, that, that's so weird that they're playing sense. at 9 a.m. And then I thought about it. I was like, dude, half of this Ohio State team was playing probably at 9 a.m. as of like this last April. Like, well, I was going to say, I, it makes what you're saying makes sense. Also, it would did, like it makes sense they played at 9 a.m. because they're just trying to get – that makes the, the last game like 5 p.m. local time. That makes sense. They're trying to oh, get yeah. all the games it's all, earlier. It's, all catered, I just, it's all catered to the Eastern time zone for sure. Yeah, it just I don't understand why the consolation, the 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 six, the seventh place game wasn't the one at nine thirty in the morning. Like right now, I'm watching Cincinnati. I'm watching the zero and two zero and two game. This is prime time. It's nine o'clock. It was at seven thirty. Like that doesn't make any sense to me. Um, but whatever. It's they do it. They do it the way they do it. The championship. The championship game in Maui was at noon. <laughs> So, you know, I guess in Maui, time is probably incredibly relative, but, you know, to each their own. I do want to point out, too, he's and he's getting a lot of credit as he deserves, but Zed Key, what he was able to do against San Diego State, he struggled. I do think he, he a couple of those fouls in the first half were very ticky-tack, and it was very annoying, um, and that kind of took him out of his game. What he was able to do today and yesterday, just today kind of offensively and 
kind of sparking them a little bit. And then uh, yesterday, obviously offensively, because he had a what do you have twenty points, something like that. He had a lot of points yesterday. But Victor Lakin, Mr. Lakin was coming off of the freshman for Cincinnati in Arizona, against Arizona, who, again, it's not like Arizona's a small team. They live with their big guys. Um, Omar Ballo had 30 and 13 against Creighton. Like, they have very good bigs. Against Arizona, the Lakin kid had uh, 17 points on 19 minutes. And Zed Key had him kind of in a blender all game. He really made life hard for him. So that was really cool to see. Um, I think Zed Key is – Which is – it's fun because that that uh, I forget what country that guy's from. I he's not Fran- French because the guy from Texas Tech was from France. But I think he's like um, Lithuanian. Victor is six eleven, two hundred, and I believe thirty pounds. And Zed Key is like six eight. So he had three or four inches on him. And what Wes Miller said was he said Zed Key is the most physical like <laughs> post player that we've seen this season. And he said he wants oh, to Zed Key is very physical. He said he might be the most. He said he might be the most physical post player that isn't like the most physical player in the country. Which I don't think that's necessarily true. He's just giving him Mark credit. Mark Turgeon would be throwing a fit watching him play. He's a, he's a bully, and he throws his whiteboard down and stomps on it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Zed he was giving him problems because he's just he's stronger. Like just weight room. Like he's just, just he's just stronger and wanted it more. Yeah, uh, yeah, and that was. And, you know, to, to what, like, coaches have said, you know, San Diego State's coach, uh, whose name is escaping me. It's not Steve Fisher anymore. Um, Dutcher. But Brian, Brian Dutcher. Brian Dutcher. Brian Dutcher. Uh, he said – the first thing he said in his press conference was, I think we won the game because we were more experienced. Like, he was like, there were just times that showed. And uh, and I completely agree. Look, it was kind of funny when, you know, the obviously the play everyone looks at in the San Diego State game or the run was when they went up. But they, they cut it to four, and then San Diego State immediately put it back at 12. That play happened because on the way back down, Bryce Sensabaugh lost a guy and he had a he lost Michael Parrish and he got a wide open three. So that's just kind of you know again little freshman things where like they probably got excited. Oh, it's a four point game. Oh shit, where's my guy? Boom, that's a three. You know, so it's just it's little things like that that they, they just got to work on. And like I said, they learned from those games that didn't happen against Texas Tech. Every time Texas Tech punched them, Ohio State counterpunched every single time, and they didn't look like a freshman team. So it was great to see. And then. Like I said, it's not like we're done learning about this team. They, they can play Duke. They get to still play North Carolina, who is probably the best offensive team in the country. I mean, they have five. They start five guys that can go for 30 any night. Like, it's it's nuts. Um, so, and then you've got to play 20 Big Ten games. So, we're going to know a lot about this team by March, which is good. The San Diego, the San Diego State game kind of went how, I would say, the, the, the final score was definitely much higher than either of us thought. But, but the – yeah. The way that it went, the flow of the game with the lead and the deficit, yeah. it is Very kind of def- it's kind of what we said it would be. It was like, listen, this is a team that uh, if you fall behind by ten or eleven points, you could get a full twenty minute second half, and you you may not catch up because to overcome a ten or eleven point deficit, you're going to need to get consecutive buckets and consecutive stops. So you're going to need to beat that San Diego State defense several times in a row, and after you get a bucket. You have to come back down and defend them, like rinse, wash, repeat. Do that three, four times in a row. That's how you cut into a deficit. And they just couldn't. They would get it down to like four or five points, and then you're like, okay, they're going to push it. And then they could not get consecutive stops on the other end to do it. And it was almost flipped to the Texas Tech game. I'm trying to look at the, the, the scoring run to see where Ohio State's biggest lead was in the second half, where they kind of went up by a lot against Texas Tech. It was 12. Um, I think their biggest lead was 12. 
they got up by, well, I can see at the 14 minute mark, Ohio state was up 52 41. And then from there on, it never got any closer than that in the second half, but it was almost flipped. There was, there were several times in the second half where Texas tech was, you know, down four points, five points, six points. And you're just like, all right, is this, is this where Texas tech makes the run? But Texas tech could not get, consecutive stops they couldn't for the sixth ranked defense in the country according to ken palm they couldn't get consecutive stops on ohio state to ever cut that lead closer than four i don't every time it got the four ohio state pushed it back to nine so you know what a big learning opportunity how much of that did they take away from the san diego state game to the texas tech game i, I don't know but it that's i think it a looks lot like here well and that's and that's the thing the biggest play of the game to me was it was 62 58 and Ohio State had the ball, and Justice Suing shot a three, and he missed it, but he got fouled. And he made all three free throws, because, again, they were perfect from the line. And now I'm saying a lot of it might have been 58-48. But regardless, it was a four-point game. They they got – and, again, if that's not a foul, which it was, but if they don't call a foul there, Texas Tech has the ball down four. Maybe they scored. They never got it to one possession. That was the biggest thing. They never got it to one possession. And in that, in that, in that realm, they could have. But just as we made all three free throws, got to seven, and I believe maybe it was maybe it was an ice likely steal or somebody they got the ball back and then they scored again in transition, so cut it back to nine. So like you said, it was four points and they just got it to nine and just never put them in that one. I always said the hardest thing to do when you're when you are uh, um also I'm, I'm watching the Cincinnati Louisville game. Louisville's on a 10-0 run and one of their fans is screaming for a timeout. That's not when you take that. Anyway, um, <laughs> you take that when you're on a 10 over run the other way. Time out, Coach. Let's stop this yeah. momentum right now. Yeah. And, then, God, and like Cincinnati just took a timeout, which makes sense. But that was a Louisville fan very clearly asking for a timeout. Anyway, um, what was I saying? Oh, so the biggest thing that I see, I think the hardest thing to do when you're trailing it is tie the game. You always see teams come back. They get to three. They get to four. They get to five. They get to two, whatever. It's hard to tie the game and fully, fully finish that comeback and they never did against San Diego state, but they never let Texas tech do that. Texas tech never tied that game. So I'm not sure Ohio state ever the trailed one, the game. Did they? The, um, oof, I'd have to Who look back. Actually. That's, that's a good question. <laughs> it's always tough with like the first minute or two, but they went up at least, you know, justice. They went up six to five. They did trail the game. So just assuming had a bucket to make it six to five from there. I don't think they ever trailed the game. I'm looking, I'm looking. I believe that, ooh, they got back within. It was 31-33 at one point. 31-33 in the first half, yeah. they got nope. two. So Ohio State led this game for, um, they took the lead at 6-5. Ohio State led this game for 37 minutes and 26 seconds. Yeah, I mean, that's you can't ask for much more than that, man. That's and the one you're talking about with Ohio with State Sewing, will be ranked. I think that's they're great. on the border. I think they're close. I don't know I if they will San be for Diego sure. State, okay, let me caveat that. San Diego State might have to beat Arkansas tonight because if San Diego State comes out of this one and two, then that loss looks a little worse. But I do think they'll definitely be on the border because they were on the border coming into the week. And um, I, I cannot believe Maryland's ranked. I don't think that's going to last too long. Um, that was that was a shocker. Losses yeah, are look, losses credit are to bad. Them. Credit. Losses are bad, and losses will push you back. But then they also got two wins, so I, I don't know if the two yeah. wins overcome the one loss and that difference is enough to push you from unranked into the top 20. I, I don't know. I think they're close though. You're right. And Texas tech played Creighton. Well, I think that's a good thing to point out to Cray- Creighton didn't dominate them. Texas tech really dom- played Creighton. Well, so 
Uh, I do think that will benefit them, but we'll see. You know, the one you I were just, talking about with the justice suing getting fouled. So that was Ohio State was up four with seven minutes left. He gets yes. fouled on the follow. So like he shot the ball and the guy smacked him in the elbow. You have to give the shooter room to land. So suing hits all three free throws. So then a minute later, it looks like Ohio State has an empty possession. And then Texas Tech comes down, hits a three, pushes it back to four again. And then Justice oh, okay. Suing goes on a 5-0 run all by himself. He pushes it back up to nine. I combined, I combined he, those in my head, but okay. Yeah, then he pushes it back to nine. And then with 332 left, Texas Tech goes ahead and scores four more. They cut it back to five. And you're like, okay. And then Justice Suing right after that goes back another layup. Pushes, that was like every time they scored. Just Justice Suing was the answer. Back. Every time they scored, <laughs> Justice Suing scored again. Yeah. So, we keep saying Ohio State. It was just Justice Suing. That's very true. But that's um, how big so, that, you know, that those three free throws were for Ohio State. If they don't get those, then, you know, they could have uh, – uh, what's his head? Who did they play? Uh, Texas Tech could have cut, cut it to one point, and that's a big difference over four points. So I do think you know, that I Texas Tech – I don't think that Texas Tech is going to spend a whole lot of this season ranked. I think that I don't either. I don't think they're that good. They, I mean, no, they, I, I think that they're, they're good, but Big Twelve stuff. I think they're yeah. I think they're an NCAA tournament team, but they lost Terrence um, Terrence Shannon left. Who's been um, balling at Illinois? And oh yeah, Kevin McCullough to Kansas. Um, Ke- oh, Kevin McCullough left. Adonis Arms left. I think he might have just graduated. But they um, also have the big boy from uh, what's his head. That averaged like twenty and sixteen last year, whose name's escaping me. That is injured right oh, now. That we'll be back for that pretty soon. About, um, yeah, he he had his stat line at like whoever he played it is like Grand Valley State or something. Um, uh, was ridiculous. Was this like fair dogs, far, far, fair dogs. Uh, um, yeah, fair fair deck Amic or something like that. Anyway, he's hurt. He'll be back for them pretty soon. I think they said. Point like is, maybe Texas maybe a week or a, two. Tech Tech is a good team, but I don't. It's going to get better. I think they're not going to spend. I don't think a lot of the season ranked, but at the end of the season, one of the metrics that they'll use is probably going to be like uh, record against likely NCAA tournament teams or record against like Ken Palm top fifty teams. And like Texas Tech will be in the tournament, and they'll be a Ken Palm top fifty team. Like that will be a quality win. Well, and the thing that I think people don't realize about the Maui invite, and for all these Battle for Atlantis, all these Feast Week tournaments. Losing in them doesn't really hurt you, right? Unless you lose to like a Louisville or something. Right. You're playing good enough teams. teams. Losing doesn't hurt you. Winning helps you. That's why these tournaments have no downside. You can go 0-3 and, and really not matter. Like, genuinely. It doesn't matter. You just go play in them and go learn some shit about yourself. Because, like I said, they, they losing in them, they don't tend to hold that against you. They do obviously give you credit for winning, but they don't hold losing against you. So it's kind of a – it's like at the end of the school season – if you're like in a finals class in college and they're like, Hey, uh, the final exam can't hurt your grade. It can only help it. That's kind of like what this is. I had that happen a couple of times, you know, can't lower your grade can only make it better. So that's kind of like what this is. I think that college basketball, even more so than college football is much better at, Oh, I mean, actually this is, I think undisputable college basketball is much more, is much better at looking at your entire body of work um, heading into the postseason calculating even um even if you lost close games like that's how they do you know like uh, um i'm trying to think was like bpi and like how they calculate all these these rankings and all these metrics it's like you losing a a let's say a four-point game to san diego state who ends the season ranked you wanted to win that game but that is going to calculate into a lot of the metrics that they use to determine who gets into the tournament so i would say you you want losses hurt you they do hurt you even if you're in a tournament but 
if you if, if you're playing well against good teams that's not going to be overlooked at the end of the season if that makes sense it does is ohio state in battle for atlantis next year or did they miss it last year because of covid they were going to play that it. really soon they, uh, I, I actually don't know i believe it's either i think they might have missed it last year because of covid it was on the schedule they're not in maui next year maui the maui the maui uh field next year is sick it's like kansas gonzaga purdue of course but yeah it's it's really good next year so Um, just the they're always in this they're not in this year louisville deserved their spot this year the team that gets hammered and goes 0-3 we um all right so we did about an hour over an hour on this with no script so that's pretty good and we only went off on a couple tangents that's only went off on like a few tangents and none of our tangents were totally unrelated to basketball so that's a big dub i think we should hit because we owe it to them a St. John's update for our beloved St. John's Red Storm, who are led by Andre Corbello and are 6-0 and now. Enter celebration music. Put celebration music. They are going, they are music going to here. be ranked very soon. They might be better than Ohio State. Ooh. That's because they don't play any cupcakes. Um, <laughs> oh, boy. They opened the season with Merrimack, who did beat Northwestern a couple years ago, but Merrimack's only been D1 for like three years. so. Um, Lafayette, who beat Rutgers last year, people forget, and uh, Central Com- Central Connecticut. So, oh, and Nebraska. So, absolutely no cupcakes on that schedule. Nebraska might be the biggest cupcake on that schedule. Facts, but uh, I mean, dude, St. John's. Um, when we when I had Chris fill in for you a couple weeks ago, I had uh, I, I taught Chris why we do a St. John's update, and I was looking at the roster, and I was like, you know what, St. John's. They might they might fuck around and be be pretty good this season actually because they got Andre Corbello. They should be good. They they're they, the they epitome of like Mathis. They're gonna be so fun. I'm not sure if they're good, but you got you got a lot of a hundred percent guy like zero to hundred guys really. Quick. Andre Corbello, Posh Alexander, Montez Mathis, David Jones. David Jones in the last game was six for twenty four from the field. Like, that's just fun. You know what I mean? That's just where good. did he that's transfer stuff. from? DePaul. Oh, Ohio, State, Ohio State was in on his recruitment. Ohio State wanted him. Oh my gosh. Their their center, Joel Soriano, is averaging 14 points. You say Curbelo, Montes Mathis, Posh Alexander. Oh my oh, it's gosh. A fun team, man. If you know hoops, it's a fun team. There are a lot of guys who are they are that is a downhill team if I've ever seen one. <laughs> Listen, their assist to turnover ratio this year is gonna be horrid. Right now they are averaging 18 assists and 15 turnovers per game. That's actually better than I just thought. <laughs> Every single dude is gonna be like Taking on triple teams is like, nah, screw that, man. I'm getting my bucket, and then they're going to get oh, packed. St. <laughs> yeah, John's, oh. John's is must-watch basketball if they're on a channel that you yeah. uh, happen to get. So that's our St. Right John's. Right now, if, like, if you're familiar with the Andre Corbello experience, it's just the St. John's experience now. It's just fun. Fun hoops. Thank God. Thank God for giving us St. John's. Do you have anything else? Uh, no, just shout-out to Feast Week. Um, I'm glad. We're in kind of a cool spot because, like, the pressure of Ohio State playing is over. The anxiety's over. But Feast Week's just getting started. Battle for Atlanta starts Thursday. so um, And the PK-85, which, if you remember, Ohio State played in the PK-80. And uh didn't look good. But that was in Chris Altman's first season, right? They played in the PK-80. Um, yep, played so, Butler. Yeah, played Butler and lost in horrid fashion. Got completely just smacked by Gonzaga. Um and that they had then left. So, um, <laughs> so Very definitely cool. Maui invite went better. Uh, they're not in the PK 85, obviously, because that would be a hell of a week. Um, so, yeah, 
That's all I got. Go Maui invite. Go Ohio State. They walked into the Maui invite, I think, the fifth best team. They walked out, I believe, the fifth best team. I got I got I got nothing. Actually, I take that back. They walked in the sixth best team. Because I think Texas Tech was better coming in, and they walked out the fifth. So that's a win. I got nothing more except if you don't hear from if you don't hear from me for for a few weeks after this podcast, um, it may have something to do with what happens with Ohio State uh, football on Saturday. I may I may uh, retreat into um, seclusion for a few weeks if Ohio State loses to Michigan for a second straight season. So, yes. God willing, that does not happen. Um, you but- want to since since we talked about this. Um, we, we realized last week that we did our preview episode for Maui Invite and made our picks for the Ohio State-Michigan game and then realized we actually had a podcast before the game. Would you like to re-go over our picks or would you just say, listen to that episode to hear our picks for the game? No, that's fine. I said uh, Ohio State 35-34 with Michigan scoring as time expires, going for uh, two for the win. They don't get it. And Buckeyes win by a singular point. I believe you also specified which way they were going. Uh, south end zone, south end zone towards the towards the band, and uh, if you see the beat, do you know what the beat blue banana is, Justin? Sure. Do, if you see the beat blue banana, <laughs> uh, think of me because if I ever get a tattoo in my life, it's probably going to be the beat blue banana that the band holds. Interesting. And I said thirty-one twenty-seven if Blake Corum plays Ohio State. Thirty-one seventeen if he doesn't. Uh, still Ohio State because, like I said, the thirty-one number wouldn't change. He's an offensive player. So that's all I got. Uh, follow us on Bucketheads LGHL. If you found this on the website, uh, make sure to also subscribe on Spotify, uh, Apple Music, Stitcher, whatever you use to get your music. Um, it's all under the Land Grant Hoyland feed. And you can also follow me on Twitter at Lamonds underscore Connor. Thank you for listening. If you made it this far, we appreciate it. Um, have a great weekend and go Bucks.